G'day once again and welcome back to the podcast. Today is Thursday, 10th of October 1946. In Bet's hometown of Sydney, Australia, they probably couldn't imagine that in 75 years from now, today, Sydney will be seven weeks into a complete lockdown as a result of a global pandemic. But today's front page news tramway strike. There'll be no trams or buses running in Sydney or Newcastle for 24 hours from midnight on Sunday. This was decided at a meeting of the tramway men last night. The first cabaret liquor licence was issued yesterday. The Allied Control Council met yesterday to consider appeals by 16 of the convicted Nazi war criminals. In Rome, there was rioting. At least 15 were killed when strikers and unemployed attacked the government headquarters and stoned the vice-premier. Australia's strong stand against lewd literature was praised by the New York Society for the suppression of vice. And in news from China, Nanking. There is now thought to be little hope of healing the breach between the Chinese national government and the communists, and American mediation will probably be withdrawn. Observers consider that the communist rejection of the proposal for a 10-day truce brings a final break with the government nearer than ever before. The door seems to have been slammed shut on all hope of successful negotiations. The publication by General George Marshall, President Truman's special envoy in China, of his exchanges with the communists and the central government is believed to indicate that the attainment of peace is impossible. The communists said that the truce proposal was a government trick to gain time to enable it to rush up reinforcements. And the US has asked Britain for a meat loan. Yep, they want to borrow some meat. Washington, To overcome the precarious food situation of her occupation troops abroad, the United States has asked Britain for the loan of about 9,000 tonnes of meat. The War Department, which is handling the negotiations, wants delivery early in November. The loan would be repaid by February 28, 1947. Meat for US troops in Europe would be drawn from the Argentine allocations to Britain, and that for the US troops in the Pacific from Australia and New Zealand. The current meat famine in America prevents the dispatch of more home supplies. And the city weather forecast? Fine, cool to mild temperatures, light to moderate southwesterly to southeasterly winds, slight seas. But now, let's hear from Bet. This is Betty Souter, Unra Regional Office, Nanchang, Changsi, 8th of October 1946. Mother dear, I received some mail this morning, four letters from you dated July 7th from Melbourne. Goodness knows what happened to this poor little stray on the way. September 16th, 20th and 25th, numbered 18, 35, 35, 36 respectively. No, I do not worry about the numbering because I have found that you sometimes use the same number twice over. But please keep on with the system because I then know pretty well if I have missed any. The other letters, 
were from Mars, dated September 17th and 23rd, from Phil, dated September 14th, and from Ada, Dorothy Hoof, and Bill Taylor. Bill's letter was really a very short note, chiefly to say that he'd been seeing quite a lot of Hank, likes him immensely, and gathered that he was pretty keen to get back to Nan Chang and Sue Betty. Bill always calls me Sue Betty. He told me that Hank was on his way and that I would be seeing him very soon. But the upsetting part of Bill's letter was that all mail posted from Shanghai airmail between September 13th and 24th for Australia and New Zealand had been lost in a plane crash. My list of letters is not complete. I sometimes forget to put a note in the little book, but as far as I can see, the following might have gone astray. September 10, Dad, including reports. 12, Mother. 15, Mars. 15, Jill Fraser. 15, Auntie Jo. 16, Dad, with more reports. 18, Jew. And about 12 others. They would have been all about my trip to Kuling. Please let me know if you get any of them. The others were to people like Mrs. S, Phil, Ada, Mrs. Colvin, Jessie Scottford, Rhonda, Gordon Wallace, and other people that I owed letters to at that time. I can remember having quite a beano of letter writing. There was also a letter to Castle Ray Florist, with a cheque and a very special card to be delivered with some flowers to you on your birthday, Mother dear. I do specially hope that that particular letter got through. We'll have to wait to hear. And worse than the letters, Hank posted my parcels of materials to the girls on the 14th, and they were wrapped in separate parcels, so may have been considered small enough to go by air. I do hope that they get through. I have my worries with the transportation of goods, don't I? It is a problem to know whether it's worthwhile to send anything of value. I'm still holding back. What a pity about the box of odds and ends being broken. I'm so sorry. The parcels must get pretty rough treatment. Any good china I shall keep and bring with me. I can remember that I did not put the little note as to value in that box. I had not heard from Dad at the time about it being a good idea. All the later parcels, including those on the way now, have been and will be properly endorsed. Incidentally, the tin of biscuits, though not losing anything in its value for me, must have had a rough passage because there are only two or three whole biscuits discovered to date. They are very much broken. But the parcel from Mars and the tin cakes are in perfect condition. Phil's cushion had been knocked around a bit, but was still covered with paper wrapping, much torn but existent. Please do not bother to send me many clothes. Now that the trunk is here, I have plenty for the winter, much more than anyone else, I think. I am wondering whether the other cases will ever turn up. The loss of the trousseau goods and the fur coat and those snappy new tan shoes hurts the most. And my lovely hats. I'm beginning to think that Unra should thank me for coming to China. Well, Mimi darling, now that I have launched myself out onto a letter, I shall read again through those of yours just received and comment where comment is called for. 
I had really intended just to warn you about the missing mail and to assure you that I'm quite all right and was not indisposed or anything like that. The pity of it is that I did not write while at Cooling, so that you may have a gap of three weeks or maybe more with no letters from me. Now you will understand why. Please see if you have the chance if those other people got their letters, will you? And let them know that I did write. If they got their letters, they may be able to fill in any gaps in your mail for you. In the letter from Melbourne, which, of course, is old news now, you mentioned that you would like an eggshell tea set. If it is possible to get one, you shall have it. Here, in Nanchang, there is very little eggshell china at all, and it is all the shape of bowls or wine cups, the latter being quite unsuitable for Western use. It is also a ridiculous price just now, but they say that the prices will come down later on when there is more of the better, ordinary porcelain around. Eggshell has not been made for a very long time. We forget sometimes that the war in China was not six years but eight to nine, and that this and the other porcelain provinces were completely despoiled and industrially ruined during the occupation which lasted the whole of that time. I do think that Chang has better stocks, though, and I had already made up my mind to have some days off shopping there before I leave Changxi. Yes, I did like Mrs. Brown, Mrs. Ford's friend in Shanghai, and was sorry that I did not have a chance to meet her again. I only saw her the once when Harry and I called in in the course of one of our walks around the city in a lunch hour. I shall look her up again when I go back. She's definitely the missionary type, but really very nice. No, I don't think that any of your letters are missing. Going by numbers, definitely not. I have been thrilled to get all the details of young Rolf. He must be very like Dad since everyone has commented on it. That, no doubt, is pleasing to Pa. I do think that it is best for you to send any parcels for me to Shanghai, whence they send them here by registered mail and notify me by letter that certain parcels are on the way. Even then we cannot be sure of anything because Molly Duncan says that instead of getting her ten shillings packet of chocolate, the parcels arrive with only two shillings worth in them. But Shanghai is the best bet. I still do not know how the customs work, but with clothing, it might help to mark the parcel clothing, worn, personal property of a dressee, or something like that. We are supposed to be free from customs, and I think that we are, but sometimes they might get curious. I'm very glad to hear that Joyce Appleton is happily married. She's such a charming person, I've always thought, and glad too that Alex Craig is engaged. Your chatter about people is always welcome, even though it almost invariably gives me an attack of homesickness. That you are pleased with the sound of Hank makes me very happy too. I am anxious and a little nervous of his return here this time. He will be here any time at all, and I keep my ears open for the sound of trucks coming across the bridge. I have not had another wire from Shanghai, so can be pretty certain that he has managed to get back, even if only for a little while. It is a month now since I've seen him, 
and I'm wondering if I will still like him just as much as before. I'm pretty certain that I will, but intend to be very, very sure of myself. Apparently, he saw the brigadier several times in Shanghai, so you should get a report on him before we get home. We are determined to travel back together. Oh, yes, I shall be at Ju's wedding, if she gives me enough notice. I am anxiously awaiting some indication of the proposed date of the big event. Apart from the six weeks' notice of resignation, I will have to allow time to get a passage on a ship. I will also have quite a bit of shopping to do. I have plans for taking lots of things home with me. The weekend at Dormy House would have been a good break for you, even if you don't like the boarding houses. I know exactly what you mean. Give me pointy any day. I've made a note of your cure for heat rash, Mimi, but will never be able to use that remedy in China because, you see, there is not a drop of methylated spirits in the whole of this great big country. Things like dripping, methylated spirits, fennel, mustard, just don't exist here. It's just about five. Time to stop work. The fact that I have been writing to you should indicate that my work is absolutely up to date in anticipation of Hank's visit. This is about the time when he would come, if he is to come today, so I must dash up and change from the car key. Lots of love, Mother Darling, from your boo. Kiss, kiss. Production credits for this episode, produced and narrated by Warren Henry, the voice of Betty Souter by Helen Polkinghorn, and the featured tune from 1946, Give Me Five Minutes More, performed by Tex Benecke and the Miller Orchestra, with a vocal refrain by Tex Benecke. Let me stay in your arms. 